in listeners to a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have wonderful guests joining us from the Frigid Fringe Festival. Joining us today, we have the writers, uh, directors, and performers of the great show Kingfish, Lane McLeod Jackson and Tyler Riley. And you can still catch Kingfish. They have one more performance Sunday, March 5th at 3.50 p.m., at under St. Mark's. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. And I highly suggest that as we have already seen the show, it is fantastic. And we're going to rave about that in a minute. But first, we want to welcome our guests, <laughs> Lane and Tyler, onto our show. Welcome to you both to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. We're Thank very you. excited to be here. Very excited. Would you like me to put on a different voice when I'm answering a question as the actor versus the playwright? <laughs> I mean, that is a choice. That is a choice. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you make that choice if you if you prefer. <laughs> I live my life through choices. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, we I had the pleasure of seeing your show actually on on our what would be our opening weekend. On the first week, we covered uh, Frigid. Uh, we did not have you on initially when we were covering the Fringe, but you're here now, and and the show blew me away. It was not what I was expecting when I walked in. I see the setup and everything, and I was like, all right, we're doing a fishing show. Where is this going? And when everything set in, I was like, oh, my gosh, where's the popcorn? Like, I am into this to win it. So... Lane, why don't I start with you on this question? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the show? Absolutely. So it's, uh, I like shows with extraordinarily simple premises because I am not a complicated human being. Fundamentally, without spoiling too much, it's about the world's greatest bass fisherman, just ask him. And he's doing what's called a pro-am tournament. And we can later on go into details what that is, but it's a real thing. And he's got this random dude on his boat. And this random guy is kind of obnoxious and a little rude. And it turns out, you know, what can you do? He's the devil. And they start on this contest uh, about who's the best fisherman. And I think I can safely say wackiness then ensues. Absolutely. It's such a, I mean... You know, there's so many stories like this, you know, the De devil and Daniel Webster or, you know, um, even to tie into something like a theater version, Damn Yankees. But yet this version, oh, my gosh, it, the twist that it had in it. And I don't want to give any of it away because I even was like, wait, who is this other character you're introducing from left field and having these effects? These are things that we haven't heard in these stories in the past. So they were really clever in that. I, I, was this a collaboration between the two of you in developing the story? Yeah, as uh, are most things that Lynn and I involve ourselves in. Uh, we've been like creative partners for like, what, like 15 years at this point? <laughs> I, just, I just saw on Facebook before this, uh, Godot was 11 years ago. But like we've known and like have been oh, working yeah. together. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah no, no. so it's been 11 years since we've been on stage together, which is which was the impetus for this piece. It was yeah. kind of just like, hey, we've been working together, but we haven't performed together in, in we 80s. didn't know how long until we started. And it was like, oh yeah, it was Godot 11 years ago? 11. 
Which is weird. The pandemic just messes with your sense of time. It was like, you know, is it was it pre-pandemic or post-pandemic, you know? Yeah, I'm blaming the pandemic on this one. I certainly <laughs> have been. Not I our age. Of, yeah. I <laughs> haven't been out of undergrad for more than a decade. It's the pandemic. Thanks. Thank exactly. You. So then Tyler, following up with that, where did you come up with the idea for the show? Oh, well, that that's more on Lane. Lane is married to his lovely partner, Lisa, whose father uh, is a big time fisherman. And I think it was, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was like on one of your jaunts out there, you were kind of ruminating like what the two of us could do. And then just on that trip, like talking to him about fishing or listening to him talk about fishing, the idea in motion. Oh yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. I will state for the record with almost 87% uh, certainty my father-in-law is not in fact the devil <laughs> i can say with less certainty i'm not but no every every uh every year we do the uh the most cliche but it's still very sweet thing where he takes me out fishing he is an amateur bass fisherman at a semi-professional level so these pro-am tournaments he does and he wins like he he frequently comes in the top spot. So, and so he'll just tell me about fishing. And uh, so what a pro-am is, because I've used the term a couple of times, in professional bass fishing, there's a series of ranked tournaments. One of them are called the pro-ams, which are professional amateurs. What makes fishing unique is that in order to qualify, or I should say the easiest way to qualify to be a real life sponsored pro bass fisherman, you still need to do this. It's not an option. You can be the best fisherman in the world and they still expect you to be on the boat with any random guy, which is, or gal, which is the most democratic pro sports thing I had ever heard. Oh. Um, and of course, in my head, he's explaining this to me and I go, oh, so the devil could show up, which is oftentimes <laughs> where my mind goes. Well, that leads me perfectly to the next question, which I want to focus more on, not necessarily your roles as performers, but as, you know, your your developmental roles. Lane, you were the writer. Tyler, you were the director. What was it like developing the show? Lane, why don't I start with you writing the piece? What was it like developing Kingfish? So anybody who's been around me during my writing process can attest to this. I have usually a fairly good memory. One might say an excellent memory, but a fairly good memory, except when it comes to writing. I I, I, I won't call it a fugue state precisely, but it really is. Uh, Tyler will say, oh man, that happened. I was like, what? That happened? It's like, dude, you wrote this last <laughs> week. Like, what? How do you not know this? I'm like, I don't remember. That sounds cool. So I wish I could give a more sort of broken down, but I, I'm fundamentally an improver. It's like, oh, that's the scenario. And then I just start muttering to myself. And those are the lines. And then the flip side of it, I am a really, really intense editor. So I wrote this script in about a week. And then I spent the rest of the time editing it. That's cool. Now, Tyler, you're the director. What has it been like developing this after getting the script and everything? Well, <laughs> I guess like my job, like kind of first started off as also like a co-editor of the piece and then just naturally became the director, I think. <laughs> just that mostly was just like, all right, a decision needs to be made. This needs to get cut. We're doing this. 
<laughs> and then Lane not pushing back to the point that, <laughs> you know, we are where we are. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, we've just really, like, throughout, like, from the very first draft, started with me, like with most things, like, I just sent him a bunch of questions and things I was confused by at first. And then me thinking, oh, well, maybe if you expand on this a little bit more, we'll see this bit more clearly and things like that. And then when it came to time for staging, I knew Lane uh, had a lot of heavy lifting to do just in terms of the creation of the piece itself and thinking about it conceptually in that way as well. So instead of hiring a director because it was a very quick turnaround from when we were accepted to when the piece needed to be put up. Uh, we had interviewed someone very lovely and who I thought would have done a great job, but it just really got down to be about timing. Mm -hmm. And I just started thinking of ways of like, all right, well, we're on a boat in a black box theater. How do we do something that isn't terribly hokey, but also gets the point across like we don't we don't have a ton of money like what are we going to do like actually and i was like all right maybe if we just get a frame together either by like stands and ropes or something and i was like oh well that's not going to work because we can't like physically like attach anything to the floor because we have to break down and set up each show and i was like all right maybe there's a way like pvc pipe but like i'm not a set constructor so <laughs> i was like Lane, here's an idea. And then Lane was like, oh, yeah, because we can just do this and attach legs here. And then, like, I think in order to, like, bow things, all you need is, like, a little bit of heat. And I have a hairdryer. Like, we'll make it work. It's going to be great. And then I went over for one of our rehearsals. We also rehearsed in our respective apartments, since it's just the two of us. And I went over one rehearsal, I think, and, like, the boat was there. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I would say that the hardest part of the process, though, was having one tech day mm. and being the director and also on stage. It was me having to think of think of where I am as a performer in terms of my blocking and also making sure that I'm giving Lane what he needs for the run through. But I'm also trying to think about where the cameras are, uh, what am I seeing if I'm sitting in the back left corner of, of the house? How is that looking? Like all of that is like ruminating. So it was not a good performance, I'm sure, but I was hopefully oh. just giving Lane enough uh, at the time to like do what we needed to do. And also the brilliance of, oh gosh, Lane, I hope you remember his name, uh, his last name, Kier. Kier, I can look up Kier. Uh, Kier's our technical director. Uh, our technical person who's just been marvelous. I don't know how many other stuff he's running, but yeah, cool, he's but great. Just an absolute lifesaver, especially for those times where it's just kind of like, uh, I think that looked okay. How did it look? And then Kira's like, looked great. Or it's like, it might want to be a bit brighter. It's just like, oh, okay. I, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to Kier. The best. He's the best. Siegel. Kier Siegel. Kier Siegel. Well, so how long have you both been working on the show? When was the submission deadline for the festival? Let's say, like, the day before? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this show may or may not have been finished before I submitted. 
<laughs> I love that. Thank God they didn't ask for a script, just like a synopsis or whatever. Yep. Yeah, there was a reason the show got written very quickly. Uh, not just because it's my usual writing process. Yeah, which like, it was like very quick, but like, not that quick for you at the same time. Because like, Lane, like, like, again, like you explained your process a bit uh, earlier with just like writing it full out and then just paring it down through the process. Yeah. So a, a similar example, uh, we did Zoom productions over the um, uh, pandemic. pandemic. And I decided to do an adaptation, a Zoom adaptation of Dracula. And I had months to write that, but did it. I instead wrote that fairly long piece within a week and a half. And again, so the, the entire thing of knocking it out and then editing down. Because I'm a humble person, I'll compare myself to Michelangelo. You know, you just get the marble and then you... <laughs> <laughs> As I say, well, I don't mess with it because it works. And, and just and just because I do, I don't want I don't want to misrepresent myself. I edit a lot, so that initial week is thing. But the we're sort of glossing over uh, one of the great myths that Amadeus. I love the play Amadeus, but it's a myth that Mozart's work is untouched. There's man, I'm comparing myself to every genius. That's not what I'm doing here. But but I am such a believer in revision. And like, and even people, I'm okay. Like, like all thing, I'm all right. But everyone re-redoes. So I just I just front load the process. I'm very fast, get it up there. Fortunately, you didn't have to read the script. To say uh, it's grammatically incoherent would be a generous statement, right? But Ty Tyler knows me. and that's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the benefits is the other person gets a script and can be like, oh, what he really means is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like with this, like I'm used, I was not as strict as I usually am. Like if I know it's going to be sent off to like people who are not me, I'm like, all right, we need to clean this. <laughs> <laughs> real people are reading this <laughs> well is there a message or a thought you're hoping your audiences take away from your show and uh tyler why don't i start with you with that i don't know if it's necessarily like a takeaway but i know that like i was just really fascinated in the idea of like comp like those i think both of us were interested in these types of people who were like just all about the competition and can't see the forest between through the trees like they're so tunnel vision about like everything is about winning it's about having something over somebody else and like all the destruction that they will take on in order to just say that they've won my character in particular like is just a really reprehensible human being <laughs> but, but is literally in the fight for his life and soul and like, what is he willing to do or throw away in order to win? Yes. And that is, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one thing that I found where I was like, but do we root for him? Like, he's not the golden boy. But yeah. Can and we had, the had the transfer paper worked out properly, like we like planned, like we had created like a whole bunch of fake sponsorships for costume but like the paper just didn't work and it was going to make things really clear to the audience the kind of person that he was but just had to act it instead 
Lane, how about you? Well, I, I'm also likewise very interested in competition as a as a concept as a uh, as a way of life because that's what it that's what it is in this thing. I'm not I'm I I tend not to be particularly anti competition. I think sometimes it's a very good thing, but but anything to excess anything to excess is extraordinarily destructive both self and towards other people. And then you combine that with sort of the ultimate amateur, which is how I was kind of writing Scratch, right? This is just someone who loves to see how the world works, but he also wants to possess it, right? So it's yeah. uh, uh, it's got to, it's it's got to own. And and I, the reason he's Scratch and not we've been calling him the devil, and he is the devil. But the reason he's Scratch and not Satan or Lucifer or Beelzebub or any of those lovely classical European names is Scratch is a really American force. And the Europeans gotta love them, love them to death. But the difference between a European devil and an American devil is you always kind of have it coming if you're a European, right? Faustus invites the devil into his home. You summon these forces, right? Scratch can show up. In the Americas, Scratch can just show up. When you, when you hear the stories, that's the case. Which means which means you take them up on the challenge yourself. Yeah, yeah, Scratch threatens JJ, but that's not always the case. It's, it's such an opportunist. It's such an American kind of thing, you know, uh, almost greedy. You know, oh, yeah. uh, that's such an American ideal. So thank you for also sharing that because I was wondering, I'm like, Scratch, really? That's, what does that have to do with Satan? Like, hmm, I don't know. So, it's an American folk term for the uh, for for the name, uh, largely New England. So if you actually look at some of the uh, D- uh, Devil and Daniel Webster, the earlier stuff, he's called Scratch. Oh. and that's and that goes down the 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 trail, right? So it's it's also picked up in in several of uh, the uh, terminologies in the South. Yeah, Scratch Scratch is one of the American terms for the devil. It's fascinating. Well, rounding out this first part of the interview, I wanted to ask you both, who do you hope have access to your show? And Lane, why don't I stick with you uh, first on this one? Oh, every, I mean, so on the one level, everybody. Uh, this this show, unlike some others, isn't made for a particular audience. So I'll say this, I would, and I say this with all love towards New York. We were talking a little bit before about my love towards New York. I would like, there's a reason I made it fishing and not any other number of competitive things. There is a huge community of people who live between the coasts of which I am from. It sounds like you're from who, who the only stories about them uh, often, not only, not always. And I am talking about a 20 year trend are often judgmental. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem with JJ isn't that he's, that he's Southern when the problem with scratch isn't that he's from wherever he's from. It's that they're competitive, that they have all the qualities that everybody has. And what brings them joy is this area of the world that is often flown over. So if I, if you have to make me pick an audience, it is the, the folks, it is, it is these, these smaller communities of all sorts, right? Because they are incredibly diverse and whenever you say rural america you act like it's one spot and it never is Hmm. i love that tyler what about you 
Yeah, like, I'm sorry. I'm really happy you said that. We haven't really spoken <laughs> about this really before. So that's really interesting because I agree. And even JJ's not written to be Southern either. Like, that was just a choice that was made through, because like, we tried, we both tried a number of different accents throughout the process and landed on things that just felt the most natural given the words that were on the page, the things that just felt the most true. And for me, so many Southerners are kind of vilified. No, I'm not playing a good guy, but they're often, I feel, Southerners, especially these days, are portrayed more and more like they don't know what they're doing, especially kind of like the Southern areas where JJ would be from. And it's like, no, like they are smart. They do, they are paying attention. They are doing research into things. And, you know, and then Lane wrote like this really beautiful piece where, you know, this really beautiful part uh, of the show where JJ is talking about the area in which they're in and like all this, all these things that he knows about the area and like this really beautiful moment to kind of just show that like he's a little bit more than what you think. But back to your question, <laughs> I will, I will take the more macro approach to it and I'm really happy that this festival has and uh, that the crane and frigid overall has remained committed to making sure that we are not turning a blind eye to the virtual theater space, especially in those two theaters, because of how they were built and when they were built are inaccessible to certain communities, depending on um, depending on what's going on with you. So the fact that people are still able to tune in from wherever they are in the world for whatever reason, there is that accessibility there. And just in general, like there's a lot of work to be done in terms of accessibility, especially for those who are differently able. Well, I want to move to our second part of our interview and give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit more, because on our show, we not only talk about theater pieces themselves, but we talk about our experience in the theater. And I want to start by asking you two, what shows, playwrights, or composers have inspired you in the past? Tyler, is it okay if I start with you on this? Yeah, I might take <laughs> <laughs> a little while to answer it. Off the bat, though, Eugene Ionesco and Noel Coward are two playwrights that rose to my mind also. I mean, it's... I feel like, feel like it's cliched because he is, like, the Black playwright that everyone talks about, but August Wilson, like, there is, like, just truly just magic in his work. Yeah. Yeah, also, it's funny, it was not funny, but I was watching the SAG Awards last night and they did their in memoriam segment and oh, just thinking about Angela Lansbury passing, like it's still like just something that just really affected me in like a weird way. <laughs> like an unexpected like I knew I'd be upset, but I didn't realize how upset I'd be about like when she did pass, because she was just a huge force and an inspiration and to pretty much all my aspirations as a theater performer. 
Like she really is the blueprint. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, just one more. Yes. Diane Carroll, just classy, and not just like the way that, like, just the range of her performances, like from Julia to um, <laughs> Dynasty to. Uh, it, I was so bummed, and I completely understood and respected that she stepped away from what would have been her last Broadway role, which was that last revival of A Raisin in the Sun, that eventually Latanya Richardson Jackson stepped in. Diane was in rehearsal and was having trouble remembering her lines, and rather than putting an earpiece in, decided to step away. Wow. that And that takes a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of respect to her, then. Lane, what about you? I pride myself, so this is a non-answer before I give you an answer. I pride myself on taking inspiration from literally anyone. Whether I think that I will sit, I sat down and watched an entire TV show that I didn't think was probably great and wrote out everything that I liked about it so I could steal it at some point in the future. So just just the thing, if I don't mention someone, it's not because I don't admire them. I I pride myself on my lack of uh, taste in that regard. <laughs> uh, everything, everything's got something in there. So I've I've said before, I'll say again, and I like so many playwrights, but I think the two best American playwrights who ever lived is uh, Eugene O'Neill and August Wilson, and it depends on the day who I think's better. But I like them for the same reason, which is neither of them lost. So you you hear this cliche, which I love. It, like a lot of cliches, it's true, but it's still a cliche for a reason, which is there's three kinds of story. There's man and man, man and God, and man and nature, right? And August Wilson and Eugene O'Neill never let you know which one you're in right? So take the piano lesson, which is out there right now. Is that a ghost? Is it a ghost? Or is it man's facing of history? Or is it the battle between two siblings? Who knows? Desire under the elms. Is there an actual force? Is the spirit of the dead there? And what's beautiful about humanity and our subjective nature is, well, we don't get to know the answer to that. Why should the art tell us? So I like Eugene O'Neill and I like August Wilson for the same reason in that way. And both come out of tight-knit communities. So they speak to the universal through specifics, right? So you have the Pittsburgh cycle, right? You you get, but there, I, you pick me a human being who can't find themselves in an August Wilson character and I'll show you a sociopath. And the same is, <laughs> and, and the same, the same is true of O'Neill. And on and O'Neill and O'Neill, who was more overtly interested in the mythic, but you know, early 20th century, you gotta do something if you're not fist fighting in a Boston harbor. So, you know, that's just, you know, what else are you gonna do? So those for the playwright one. For the uh, I'm gonna throw a weird one at you. The famous person, not talking about the greatest artistic influence in my life, who who if people know the jazz circuit might know. Uh, Julian Presley, who who is the guy who sort of taught me art, uh, but but is is a magician named Ricky Jay, and Ricky Jay was a master craftsman and a master historian, who was res deeply respected by other people in his community and deeply respected the history and nature of that community, right for good and ill, and he also passed away relatively recently. And 
the idea that we are living embodiments of a constantly evolving form and that you get repetition, you get new concepts, which are variations on a theme, right? I think Mark Twain said, and if not, I'll give him credit. History doesn't repeat itself at best, it only rhymes. And it's that nature that Ricky Jay sort of embodied as, as much as anything. So as when you take in artists for all they are, he's sort of one of my North stars, but that's a long list. I gave, I gave you, I gave you some of them. That's, that's, that's a long list. The more people I can admire, the better. No, I love both of those answers. I think they're both fantastic. So thank you for those. I know you've both been very busy with the frigid fringe, but have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh gosh, I go to the theater all the time because of like what I do for work. <laughs> um, but I've just oh, I've just been seeing like a lot of things that I've seen already. Though I did I did enjoy pictures from home playing now at Studio 54. I believe it was still in previews when I saw it, but those performances I thought were just really, really like lovely and grounded and it really it really just it felt like you were watching a family yeah it wasn't a i don't know a, a blown up version of a dramatic show it felt for lack of a better term like kitchen table you felt like you were actually sitting in on a family on yes. these personal conversations and you've got these dynamite performers on stage but you weren't getting these larger than life performances and yet you were like wholly satisfied because yeah. you were like, oh yeah, well, that would be what I expected from parents who were being asked this and this and this. It's intense in its smallness in that way. Yeah. It feels so real. Uh, anything from you, Lane? So I don't get to see as much theater as I would like, but I will say I've loved everything else I've seen at Frigid so far. So I don't want to call anyone out in particular because I've liked them all. So so I would I would go out to see as many frigid as possible. Yeah, I don't. Last one I got to see was the piano lesson, which I loved. I don't know. Is it still up? No, uh, closed end of January. Okay, kind of. So uh, I also I also really like Death of a Salesman. But yeah, I unfor unfortunately because I am I am attempting at least for now to live my life as as an actor. I uh, I budget very tightly, so. <laughs> What is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Tyler, I'd like to start with you on that one. I really love theater at this level in particular, the non-union level, speaking for us. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know about the others, but like being able to have a hand in everything, being a part of what strike, what load in and strike looks like, what that feels like. So you don't lose that sense of the importance of what it means to work as a team, to know what it is to be a part of each and every, you know, area of the uh, production. I think it's important. I think it's important to, especially for me now, because I semi-recently became an artistic director of an indie theater company here in New York. And it's good to remind myself of these things as, you know, we're thinking about budgets and planning of like what's, you know, deemed important and unimportant. 
I don't know if I necessarily would think so much about the design budget if I hadn't worked directly with people putting up sets, taking apart sets, putting up lights, taking them down, you know, setting all these things up. That, I love that. Lane, what about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? The money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you answering to Scratch or are you answering as Lane? That's the question. Lane likes <laughs> money too. Devil's in all of us. Uh, no, no. I. Uh, there's a two-part answer. I think there's a two-part answer for lots of people. The first part is I'm basically just going to copy and paste what Tyler said, right? You, you do this for the process. You do this for the community. You do this because stories mean more than any one part of it. But to be part of it means you mean more, that kind of thing. And the second part is, though, because I don't really have another choice. Like, I'm, I'm, like is addiction a, is it a correct <laughs> answer? Like, what your, your question implies there's a world where I don't do this, like where I'm not a miserable son of a gun if I'm not doing this. Tyler has been around me when I don't have a project. My wife has been around me when I don't have a project. <laughs> like, like, there's also like the safety and concern of the rest of the continental United States. Like, no, I should probably stay in this field and keep doing this. <laughs> no, so it's it's a two-part thing, right? Because not to, not to say that a little bit more seriously, it's like the the joy you take having found meaning and the absence you feel when you're not part of it. And meaning can be lots of different things for lots of different people. This just happens to be mine. Also fantastic. And I'm, this, this is leading me to my favorite question, which I'm really excited to hear both of your answers. And it's, what is your favorite theater memory? And I'm going to go and hit Lane up first. So I have a contractually obligated answer to this one, but it's a sweet answer. So I did my master's at the National University of Ireland, Galway, and where I was in a performance of the Laramie Project, which is a, is a wonderful play. I am sure virtually everyone in the audience knows what it's about. You might think it is a bad play to propose to your girlfriend at the end of, but I, I didn't have a whole lot of options. Uh, she was heading back to the States because I was over on a student visa and she had to leave for a couple of months before she could come back. So I needed the proposal. We had met in a theater. So this had to be over the theater. So I go over to the guy who's directing. It's like, okay, I need you to do this for me. Can you sort of finish the, the, the production on Halloween night, which had three people in the audience initially, with a, this is fundamentally a story about love, which is not untrue, the way, way things were defended. And he said, sure. And I got a collection of flowers. I put on her favorite song online, our entire local community was there it got put on youtube and i proposed to her in the in the place where we met and the place which was most meaningful to us so that that is my favorite memory in the theater oh we love a good meet cute that's amazing oh i love what the answer should have been was i have a story tyler you should go first <laughs> like why do you set me up like that <laughs> Tyler, what is your favorite theater? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> ding dang it, Lane. 
I thought I had one. <laughs> oh, okay. I believe it was March 6th or 7th, 2021. I went to go see a half-hour musical, which was the first in-person musical or in-person theatrical production to perform in New York post the shutdown. It was done at the Judson Memorial Church. We were sat in like this kind of grid seating. There were only nine of us allowed and we were like spread out in that auditorium. And I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, like this is so weird. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, gosh, is this what theater's gonna be like and for how long? But when those house lights went down and the show started, like all of that like just faded away. And it was like, all right, we're gonna be okay. We're going to be all right. I love that you got to have that experience and such an intimate, small group. That's amazing. So thank you. Thank you both for sharing those incredible stories. I love it. Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? I do. (laughs) (laughs) So my theater company, Company of Fools, we will be doing... Our first in-person production in two years. We're going to be doing uh, an original play by Shan Smith called Blackout, which is more or less a superhero grief play. And that will happen at The Tank uh, in May. Woo! Yes! Finally, if our listeners want more information about Kingfish or they want more information about you, maybe they want to reach out to either of you, how can they do that? <laughs> Why could I not think of words for a second? You can follow, you can find me at It's Tyler Riley on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow, you can find information about Company of Fools at Company of Fools Theater, uh, the R E spelling at companyfoolstheater.com. And and for me, uh, I would recommend throwing my name next to it, uh, but you can find my website at Noir Theater, also the R-E spelling, where where both the, the plays I have written, uh, my directing portfolio, and my um, my acting reel is, is all available. Uh, I do love writing for particular people in mind. So I will... That is my kind of one plug for myself I will give. I've written two scripts for Tyler. More than that. But yeah, about one was uh, one was called Ajax, which is a one-person show uh, about um, Ajax, because I'm subtle that way. And uh, the, Greek mythology, uh, not Deadpool. Thank you. <laughs> or the cleaning product. <laughs> And I don't know if I'm allowed to say the other play I wrote for Tyler's name out loud. So. Oh yeah, can we curse? I feel like I yes, cursed yes. already. Yeah, as long as it's not hate speech, you're okay to curse. <laughs> cool. It, it's called fucked, and it is um, it's it's an interesting one. It is it is an erotic thriller for the stage, which is damn it, a a thing we don't see enough of. Love that. <laughs> hey. Tyler, thank you really so much for joining us here on Whisper in the Wings from Sage Whisper. It's been an honor. Cannot thank you enough for sharing the show and just sharing your thoughts and your humor. So thank you very much. Can't thank, thank you, you. Like It really, really means a lot that you reached out. Like We love 
We love this. This was fun. Yeah. Speaking for us. Thank you. My guests today have been the writer and performer, Lane McLeod Jackson, and the director and performer, Tyler Riley, both who you can see currently playing in Kingfish, which has one more performance at the Frigid Fringe Festival, Sunday, March 5th at 3.50 p.m., and that's at Under St. Mark's. You can get tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. We also have some links to go follow them on social media or on the web to check out their respective theater companies and and just follow to keep up on their projects and productions we'll be posting in the episode description and on our social media you do not want to miss out on what they do their work is absolutely fantastic and there are big things in the future for both of these artists so make sure you follow them and you stay up to date great things are coming for them and make sure you get your tickets to see the final performance of Kingfish. I promise you will be thoroughly entertained, among other things. So it's a great, great show to see. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper! Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by David Mumford and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.